Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Hi, everyone. Welcome today. I have Andy Grant with me, and he is a best-selling author, award-winning speaker, transformational energy coach, an Akashic Records reader, and suicide prevention activist. He holds a variety of coaching and psychology certificates and is very experienced with leadership programs and a ton of different energy work modalities. Andy teaches workshops on a variety of topics and is the founder of Real Men Feel, which is a movement encouraging men to come out of their emotional closets. He also facilitates monthly men's groups, and as a survivor of multiple suicide attempts, Andy knows how low people can get from at their emotional state and how they can feel. And he is committed to helping people realize just how amazing life can be. So welcome, Andy, to One Broken Mom. Thanks. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about this. Um, the universe really stirred up some energy around men, men's mental health this week, which is great because you and I had already had plans to talk. But for anyone who uh, is listening that doesn't have Facebook or listens to this podcast or watches this podcast uh, later on, uh, this week Gillette released a short film challenging men to not just be what they think is an acceptable status quo, but to be better and realize that, that they're setting the example for the next generation of boys. Now, personally, I loved the ad. Um, I admitted last night on Andy's panel that I did with him for Real Men Feel that, I mean, it, it literally draws tears. You know, um, it, it rises all kinds of positive emotions. Um, but it didn't stir up any of the fearful feelings that uh, I think some people didn't expect or were surprised by, because quite frankly, I wasn't the target. Um, it did, however, stir up in me a different emotion, and that is my rise to action. Um, and my constant and unrelenting quest for justice and fairness. That's just who I am as a person. And so while I am a broken mom and a woman, I have always been vocal in my position regarding men's mental health, with the primary reason being is that I'm a mother to a future man. And in my journey that I've taken that many of you have listened and kind of shared and come along with me, uh, through therapy and education, I have seen the light, so to speak. And that is not only am I his mother, um, but my son's emotional development is dependent on the experiences I share with him. And looking at the research around abusive men, a man's overall feelings towards women, even the subtle expressions of sexism and misogyny, can typically be traced to a conflicted or an ambivalent relationship with mom. And 
I will say something about mom. I mentioned this back in the beginning um, of this entire podcast. I get that not everybody has a female mom in their, in their life. And so when I talk mom, I've always said this, mom is your primary caregiver. It is your, your ultimate uh, person who is the responsibility there. And so that's why I'm exercising my women's privilege. And, you know, just as we talk about white privilege and race relations and that privilege that I have is that I'm allowed to be able to express my emotions and feelings and that I have the liberty to search for them, understand them and share them, even if they're not always acceptable to some people. And since I stand in a space in society and culture that men aren't allowed in right now, much like in race relations, then I believe it's my moral obligation to reach my hand out and help others that want to be there too. Emotions are not gender specific. In fact, we are in a watershed moment here for humanity. This isn't a cultural or sociological change that's happening. We're discovering out the truths about human development, truths that transcend culture and trends because they are biological. And how does that influence culture? Is that we have to stop ourselves and suspend our beliefs for just a moment and begin to examine what we've been taught and experienced in child rearing and realize it's not enough. And while yes, we all, including our own parents and their parents and their parents did their best, I get that. Our best has got to be better or nothing is going to change. And so that's my soapbox and why I stand on it when it comes to men's mental health. So again, Andy, I am so glad that you're actually here with me to be able to have this discussion. I'm, I'm like, I'm stoked. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Let's go. Yeah, let's do this. So um, you and I did this panel last night. You actually hosted it and initiated it. Um, and did you get any other feedback? Because I know that I actually got some comments afterwards from, from some men that I thought was actually pretty interesting, but I didn't know if you know anybody reached out to you or shared anything else about this. And if you want to just kind of talk about what we talked about last night. Yeah, I haven't seen anything new. I've mostly been promoting it and spreading it like a virus as far as I can. But you know, I so we had nine people discussing their reaction to the Gillette ad and their reaction to other people's reactions to the Gillette ad, and I was kind of surprised. Most of the people we had, the, there was a lot of agreement. Mm -hmm. I, I I thought in my you know my random collection of people, someone would be you know uh, against something or or be they'd be a minority speak of someone that who was real took offense to it, but there, there wasn't really anyone. Um, that wasn't anyone's reaction, but there was a lot of, there was, what I liked was there's empathy for people that were reacting and were in that fearful state. Um, but I have seen uh, more comments and it continues to talk about the campaign, but men talking about that they feel the ad has attacked them for being men. And, and, and I've watched it again and there were some subtle scenes of, of like a, a guy's about to go chase a pretty woman walking down the street and someone says, Hey, that's not cool. And well, what was he going to do? He looks like, is it people, what? I can't, I can't approach women. I have to, I can't talk to people on the street. Like, what does this mean? And I can, yeah, okay. If you're really going to dissect this shot by shot, you know, there are things that, well, yeah, what is that trying to tell me? But you know, the, the biggest conflict I'm seeing is in one sense, men are told be strong, be powerful, you know, be in charge, be a leader. And then they're told be open and be vulnerable and be soft and have emotions. And they some guys feel they're attacked on either end when they do that. So right. it, it's, just, it's, it's a time, especially, and, and I'm glad the discussion is happening. It's a time of guys trying to figure out what, what does it mean to be a man? What, what am I supposed to do? What am I allowed to do? Um, and doing things they've always done 
you know, if they haven't, if, if as an individual, you haven't felt a negative repercussion, if no one's confronted you, if you haven't, if you haven't crossed a line with anyone, you know, it can be hard to, to then see that it's being called out as being wrong some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, some of the, and I, I agree with the, you know, the assessment last night that, I mean, I think everybody there was, you know, I don't quite get why the visceral reaction, you know, is there. Um, this morning it was interesting because then I did get um, feedback from some, you know, one man I actually, I told him his comment was very brave and he goes at the expense of probably losing friends. I'm going to tell you actually how I felt about it. And I thanked him for it and asked him if I could, you know, relate and share it. I'm not going to, um, uh, give out his name or anything like that. And I'm going to paraphrase what he had written, but the essence of it was, you know, this, this confrontation in this fear. And I, I kind of feel like actually screw it. Let me see. No, I don't want to open up my window. I was going to say, I was going to open it up, but I don't want Facebook to, to blow this up. Um, but he had expressed, he's like, I've made those mistakes. I've done those things myself, but I was, you know, here I am. I feel like I've raised four great sons. He's got a relationship with his wife. They've been married for forever. He is a good person. He is a good human. Um, and what it left him feeling and another, another guy that I know reached out to me and said was that, um, you know, there is a fear factor in here. There's a silent majority, right? Uh, We have the big end of the, you know, fuck you for telling me what to do and attacking, you know, and making men pussies by telling them that they can't fight or they can't, you know, be all macho and stuff like that. And then the other end of it that I saw comment wise, which was, I don't get it. If you get pissed off, then you're a part of the problem. So it's kind of like the bell curve, right? But right there in the middle is a whole lot of men not saying anything, you know? And when I watched the ad again this morning, you can kind of see, and I don't know if Gillette and the producers intended that, but if you look in the faces of some of the men looking at themselves in the mirror, many of them actually look afraid. They're sitting there going, now I have to question things that I thought were okay. Cause like you said, nobody ever pointed that out to me. Um, and I do believe that there is in the middle there, there is a middle ground of flirtiness and, um, banter and, you know, and, um, that we both do. And that was what one of the men said to me is, you know, women do it too. And it's like, Oh, totally. You know, and that if you made an ad like that about women, that, you know, there'd be all up, you know, we'd all be in uproar about, you know, how badly we were treating women for, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so I don't know, do you think that somewhere in there that there's, you know, that pretty much and I showed the video to my son and I could see in him too, this whole, like, I get what they're saying, but he also had this like trepidation right here. And I think he also felt a little judged, you know? And, um, so I'm wondering like, you know, you're the guy, I'm the female. I didn't feel that way, but do you think that there's some merit in there that there's a lot of men feeling like I'm just feeling a little judged right now? And I don't think I'm a dick, but yet I don't know how to not be a dick or when I'm a dick and what do I need to do to not not be dickish, you know, yeah. when I think that I'm actually being a decent human. And that's what, if, if you, if I'm comfortable that I'm a decent human being, I'm not bothered or, or challenged by a video saying, Hey, let's be decent human beings. Um, but I, I think it, you know, the way you're phrasing it, I think the video is inviting people to judge themselves, to get a little introspection. So I'd never, again, the video is asking questions. Is this the best a man can be? You know, if we challenge ourselves, we can be better. Right? Are you willing to, to show other men when they're crossing the line? It's not, I've never gotten from it, men are bad. Right? You're all bad boys. Go to your room, stand in the corner. And, but again, some are reacting that way, but everyone has to decide how they've been in the past, how they are right now. So that moment of introspection and judgment, I think it's self inflicted judgment. Mm-hmm. I, I, 
I don't. Gillette is not sitting in judgment. Gillette just wants to get their name out, right? <laughs> um, but maybe, may, you know, maybe the actual analysis is that you know women buy men razor blades. So if we're offending men, we don't care. We're we're trying to win the women over. <laughs> maybe that's part of the the corporate um, uh, thinking leading up to this. But you know, I I think it's a awesome thing for your son to look at it and maybe have a bit of confusion as opposed to fear. Like, am I doing the good thing? Right. Like, I don't think a guy has to rape someone to know that rape is bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And you know, but, but being a dick, that's blurry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, it, you know, the video is not even two minutes long. So it's, it's just raising issues. It's not condemning. It's not passing the judgment or a sentence on, on masculinity or men, but, you know, it, it shows adults stopping kids from fighting and from bullying each other. And, you know, who, who can be against that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, when we, well, when we talked last night, you know, one of the things, you know, and I, I appreciate you inviting me on to the panel for my perspective, um, uh, because for me, like I said then, and like I said here in the beginning of this episode, you know, after I showed my son this, the video, I actually talked to him. I said, you know, here, and I said, here's how I felt when I watched it. And I shared with him what I had shared um, with you on the show, which is, and uh, that I, I don't, I don't think that it's entirely his obligation to, to figure out what it means to be a good man or a good human in this case. And we use the word human a lot on the panel last night. Um, this, this isn't a gender thing. It's just, you know, how do you treat people in that way? And what tools do we all have to learn how to evaluate that? And so I told him, I said, you know, for me, I feel like how you will learn how to uh, have love and respect for women is what I show and model for you that, you know, that I have that responsibility to do that piece of it. And that's why, you know, um, my soapbox is that moms are the first relationship our sons have with any woman. And I know people are like, oh, that's kind of creepy. No, I don't mean this like in an Oedipus type of a way or in a sexual way, but our bonding and our ability to emotionally connect starts with that primary caregiver, that mom person there. And, you know, when men, when I see that silent majority in the middle there, I wonder out loud and I invite people to, to write back to me, talk to you, talk to me about this is whether or not that, that uh, mixed message, like I said, in the, in the panel last night is because of this ambivalent relationship that we have with mom, this, I love her, but yet I felt like I could never connect to her. I felt let down at times when I needed her and then I didn't get it. But God, I love my mom because we all are wired to connect in that way, biologically and also socially, you know, mom is, you know, on a pedestal. And if mom's a single mom and she's working her ass off, we got to love her even more because she's sacrificing for us. But that doesn't mean that we don't have those mixed feelings of like, I'm crying inside and my mom is not available to me. And that that is what we kind of keep carrying through, you know, that because that becomes again, the wiring, the, the synapses that get reinforced in childhood that then become this underlying subtle, you know, messaging or feelings that we have, you know, about women. And, you know, to be honest, women have those feelings too. You know, that's, and this isn't just a man feeling it's, a, you know, um, but women can have, you know, and be misogynistic. I guess it's probably not the right word, but, you know, we talk about mean girls, you know, and having this, this kind of needling and hate of other women, that's all kind of in the same, you know, the same realm in there and stuff. And so, um, you know, explaining to my son, like, I have a responsibility here and it is to make sure that you and I have the first 
healthy, emotionally connected relationship. And then there's no question on what it means to be, you know, a good human, you know, moving forward. So that was my, even, even having that, creating that it'll be judged and evaluated by others. Yeah. So my, my parents divorced when I was five. Um, my mom always talks about, I just knew I, I, I was the most mature adult five-year-old in, in the world. And I was just always a good boy. I didn't get yelled at. I didn't get in trouble. I just did the right thing. And I remember my dad, I was like eight or nine years old. And my dad would talk about how close I was to my mom. And it like, it bothered him. Hmm. Like, and he would talk about the Oedipus complex to me at eight years old. I mean, like, so I shouldn't like my mom. I was like, I was like, I was so confused. Like, it's wrong to be close to my mom. Like, what are you trying to tell me? I, and, and I really, it was like jealousy. Like he was seeing me like every other Sunday for a few hours and he wanted more than that. So he would kind of, you know, nitpick or say that that really, you're awful close to that lady. That's kind of weird. And. I'm like, you know, she's the only family I have. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> right, right. And then you and you, and you wonder, you know, I, I, you know, not getting into, you know, analyzing our parents' lives or anything like this on this, but then you sit there and you wonder like, gosh, did your dad ever feel connected with his mom? And was it jealousy rooted in the fact that he, you know, was feeling that, that it triggered him, you know, and that own lack of it there. Yeah. Um, you know, I've said this before. I did a video about a year ago and I talk about when we talk about childhood trauma, which we're going to, we're going to hear about your story. Cause it's a pretty powerful story. Um, is that, you know, it's an, it's an experience we live twice. Um, first when we're children and we are sitting here trying to survive, you know, and, and again, our brain is helping us come up with survival modes and it's giving us actions and it's responding to the world around us because it, it, it's the right choice at the right time. If you're not getting the emotional connection, it's forming something in its place. And sometimes that leads to codependencies and addictions and anxiety and depression because that lack of connection that we have when we need it, when the brain's coming together. And that's tragic. That's tragic for children growing up in that way and feeling alone and acting out, you know, becoming bullies or killing themselves or whatever the myriad of, of ways that children end up kind of finally giving up. But then the tragedy is, is that then as adults, we're judged for the results of all that. And, and that's what I see now with this Gillette ad is a lot of finger pointing at adult men and women back and forth, everyone's doing that because we're judging them for the results of them as children having to come up with a survival mechanism that was beyond their control. The brain didn't ask them. It didn't give them choices. It, you can't even comprehend that. And that's to me, like I said, that's why this is so important in discussing mental wellness and mental health and understanding brain development and, and you know, and looking at it from that way. And that's why I can't, I, I, I just, I can't today. I can't hate, I, I can say that I have a boundary and that I won't allow your toxic nature into my life. But at the same time, there's no hate behind that. I just, there's nothing but empathy and sympathy for the conditions that, that you know, that, it, you know, brought that to there. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to invest a lot of emotional energy in fixing somebody that can't be fixed or doesn't want to be fixed. Um, as if that's even a choice. We already know some people can't choose to be better. They just are so the pathology of what happened to them is just so strong that, you know, it's just, it, it's a foregone conclusion for them. Um, so your trauma story, I've heard clips of it when you and I talked and stuff, um, and that you've attempted suicide multiple times. And I, gosh, you, in our interview, you said that the first time was when you were eight years old. No, my f first thinking of it, um, okay. I did, my first attempt, I, I was not much later. I think I was 12 with my first attempt. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to just like ask you why, why did you do that? <laughs> um, and, and I in those moments, you know, I'm sure there was a last straw, but it was all, it was all bullshit. 
but you know, my parents divorced when I was five. My dad was an alcoholic. At the time of the divorce, I began getting molested by a next door neighbor, um, and I shut it down. I, I didn't. I did not have conscious memories of that until uh, I was nineteen or twenty years old, and I was in my fifth mental hospital, and suddenly these memories came back. But from that, from that experience, I really shut down as a kid. I stopped talking. I, I went inward. I, I decided the world was not a safe place. And I was also a very empathic kid. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would just burst into tears. I, I was a crybaby. I, I was sensitive and I was weak and I got picked on for it. But I would be overcome um, just by tears and just think that there, there's just something horribly wrong with me. I'm not like anyone else. And, um, I, I, I had a few friends, but any, you know, going beyond my circle of three or four friends, I didn't feel safe. I felt, you know, the world was dangerous. Um, my dad was always saying that high school are the best years of your life. And looking back, well, he was, he was 19 and 20 years old telling me this. He didn't have much more than high school. So, <laughs> but again, as a kid, oh, high school is the best. And well, I don't really love school yet. And, you know, I would, I, I remember having suicidal thoughts, making plans as young as the third grade. Um, in seventh grade, there were attempts. I, uh, my parents brought me to child psychologists and I would just lie. I didn't, you know, I'd tell them something to give them a story and leave me alone. I didn't, I didn't want help. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get out of here. Um, so there were multiple attempts through high school. And it was finally after, uh, I think it was my fifth attempt that I, I would just, you know, curled up crying in the fetal position. I just had to admit that you know, I'm not good at this either. There, there, there must be a better way to navigate my life. I, I'm obviously, I'm supposed to be here. You know, what, what the hell am I here for? And I slowly started to think, well, maybe I've gone on through this and I'm surviving it because I'm supposed to share it and I'm supposed to help other people. And that's the first time I was kind of willing to get helped. Mm-hmm. And I started, you know, actually talking to counselors and therapists and telling them what I was thinking. And again, that led to this, this memory of the molestation and, you know, there was a brief time I thought, ah, th- there was the, there's the trauma. I'm all good now. And that, that didn't happen. <laughs> it, it wasn't just remembering something and talking about it for 20 minutes didn't, didn't like erase the pain. It didn't erase the years of believing I wasn't safe, that I was, there was something wrong with me, that I was flawed, that the various mental health diagnoses that I would get and, and the medications that just gave me horrible side effects and just made me feel even worse. And, I can remember in high school being being on uh, lithium and just having really bad shakes and you know, like walking, truly walking into my locker, just face first, hitting my own locker door. And I was like, if if this is like what people are supposed to feel, like it made me more suicidal. Like I I want out. If this is if this is what everyone else is life is like, I want no part of it. Um, so it took a long time to to discover that I I wasn't the diagnosis. I wasn't the labels I had been given right? De- depression was something that I experienced, but it, it wasn't me. And just for decades, I thought, hi, I- I'm Andy. I'm suicidal and depressed. How are you? <laughs> Even if I'm in a good mood, I thought that that's who I was. I brought all that baggage with me. When, when I met my wife after a couple of good dates, I was like, I got to tell you, you know, um, I'm a mess. I've tried to kill myself multiple times. And if shit gets tough, I don't know what I'll do. Um, and, you know, and I, I would use that almost as a wall. So, no one else can hurt me because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how much of a psychopath I am ahead of time. So I, you won't have you won't be able to hurt me anymore because you know I'll I'll run away. I'll, you know I'll push you away. 
Um, and I, I was not raised with any sort of religion. So I, you know, it wasn't like I wanted something else. I, I just wanted my pain to stop. I wanted my life to end. I didn't think, you know, I wasn't, didn't think I was going to go to heaven. Didn't think I was going to go to hell. I just wanted everything to stop. I was just tired of feeling so broken, you know, at age 14 and 15, I was, I was getting drunk alone so that I could cry. That wow. was the, the only way I could emote um, because at a, at, from younger ages being picked on for crying. So I'm like, all right, so I, I will only cry alone in the dark, you know, drinking a bottle of wine. Uh, and it, it was just, but those were mechanisms that kept me going. Like I, they, that brought some release. And, and even, you know, had this distorted view of, of how to treat myself. After I made a suicide attempt, I usually ended up in a hospital and that, cause I was like kind of forced to get help and there would be relief. I, I felt better. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like 23 years old. The first time I was at, I'm depressed. I'm thinking about suicide. What if I don't take action, but I go get help. I just skip the trying to kill myself part. Can I do that? And I did. And I did. And I, I felt like I'm like an adult now. <laughs> I'm actually, actually growing up. Um, I didn't have to just try to harm myself and, and have someone pick up the pieces. I could raise my hand and say, yeah, I feel like shit and I don't know what to do about it. And, and that was the last time I was hospitalized. At 23. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. Because, I, it, because it, was, it was like I was willing. I like, help me. Yeah. And, you know, and, I've, and I've gotten help you know, from then on. Uh, years of different counselors and therapists. Um, and then it brought me into energy work and, and spirituality and discovering I'm more than just some random chemicals that are mis- and misfiring synapses. And, you know, I have much more control over my emotions and thoughts than I was ever told growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing too, uh, you know, cause I bring this in actually earlier this week, I interviewed an actual neurobiologist and we talked about neuroplasticity, which, you know, I, as I mentioned in that interview, like that's where I hang my cap of hope on, which is just because the synapses were formed doesn't mean you don't have the ability to prune them and actually change them. And that's a, that's a big deal. Like that's a, that should be like the carry way, you know, like, Hey, you know, some real fucked up shit may have happened to you, but guess what? The brain is actually plastic. Like it, it, it can be reformed. So you can actually go back. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've had my own in and outs with therapy until this last year. And I think you're right on with the mindset, you know, going in because you feel like you have to do something that something's not quite right, but never like you have to jump in and commit to doing it and like, just put yourself in there. And like I said, you know, I know your, your focus is on men's mental health. And, you know, as you and I talked about, women have some of the same hangups too, despite having a a realm of safety of expressing, you know, being held back emotionally and not being able to fully communicate is something that we've all shared. We've all kind of gotten some of the, some similar experiences to it, but yeah, therapy and and being committed to it um, and, uh, and working yourself through it is, is a big deal there. Um, So you, when did you start actually helping other people? When did this become like your focus and as a, like as your career and like your movement? Yeah. So I was in a, uh, in 2010, I began this year long energy coaching program and it was first time I discovered energy work and felt energy through my body and was like, wow, I can, I can do things and, and, you know, uh, release thoughts and and getting the, the uh, cellular memory and just learning more about it. So I was in this year long program and, and I was in it for me. I was in it to learn tools to, to just release my shit and, and change my identity and let myself grow and transform. And about halfway people, halfway through it, uh, I discovered that 
you know, people were, were fighting to be partnered with me and like, they were just reputation that Andy's really good at this and you want to get coached by him and all I'm like, really? Like I had no idea. And so they started asking me what I was going to do professionally. And I was like, I had not realized that this, you know, I took this program to save my life. I didn't realize, oh, it's kind of a vocational program as well. <laughs> I was going like, to do something. This um, is a career option. <laughs> yeah. And I, so, you know, I was in it and not realizing it, but that's when it starts. Yeah. So 2010, I started seeing clients and uh, letting people know what I was up to. And it was neat. I still, I worked at corporate America and I was very open about what I, what I was doing. And so, you know, my management and people leading projects like, Hey, Andy, can you read the energy of this project? Or, Hey, do I have good vibes today? Tell me what's going on. And, you know, so, um, it, when I, especially now when I meet people that they're kind of blurring and they keep their worlds very separate, I'm like, don't you're, you're underestimating all the people you work with to think that, Oh, I've got to keep my spiritual side, you know, hidden over here. And that, that doesn't, that doesn't flow with work. And I'm like, you know, you're, yeah, you're just underestimating people. And, uh, so I encourage people to just go for it. Let them look. Yeah let them know. Um, I had even, you know, corporate America paid for me to get my positive psychology certificate. That was another year long program. And I convinced them, you know, here's my energy background and it'll help me be a better leader for the company. And, uh, but it was really, I wanted to get kind of the science to back up some of the, some of the so-called woo woo stuff that I was doing and I expected to have a lot more conflict, but, but I just kept finding that science is just finally catching up to spirituality and, you know, to learn about research, about gratitude and meditation and all the things that I had started doing in my own life to save myself. You know, there's all this research and academia backing it up. So uh, I was really pleasantly surprised by that whole experience as well. Yeah. And that's, and you're right, because again, that goes back to those, the neural pathways that, you know, uh, the brain isn't just a bunch of like marbles, you know, and compartments in there. They're all connected, you know, together, even through the, you know, rational thinking with emotion and all that. And so, and, you know, and that's why I said, we're in a watershed moment when it comes to research and science and it's taken still 20 years to get there, but it's, it's ramping up fast. Like every time there's a breakthrough, it's just like, we're on the, you know, the top of the roller coaster, just getting ready to come down. And so, uh, you know, uh, explaining people like how much are you affected by these new, the new research and science, just look at artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and how much more it is, it has infiltrated our life, you know, from marketing and why certain ads pop up and stuff is because they've taken the neuroscience and they've been able to apply it, you know, in corporate ways. Um, but, you know, you mentioned empathy, you know, being more empathetic. And that's something I can definitely relate to in there because I, you know, I always sit there and think about my own personal experiences and why maybe my reaction or feelings about something felt were more traumatic to me, you know, uh, than to somebody else sitting in the room kind of having the same deals. And I think that there is that feeling of if you just have a more sensitive attunement to emotions um, in that it is DNA. That's the, that's the way that brain, you know, and all those neurons come together. That's just the how the genes played out for there. Um, I appreciate with, with what you're doing with the energy because there is that piece of like, you can actually feel, you know, you can feel tension. Like we've all felt that we can feel tension in a room. And that is that piece of that energy, spirituality and stuff. And so I love it. I love it that you were, um, you know, encouraged in that, in that direction. I imagine though, that that's, that that woo woo-ness is a turnoff for a lot of men, like in, in wanting to go that deep into it. I mean, am I, am I wrong? Yeah, it's all about the term. So I, I'll, I'll talk using language of who I'm dealing with. But you, know, um, you hear Trump talk about it all the time. I trust my gut. I don't care what the advisors say. I go with my gut. So if I'm talking to a businessman, I'll talk about gut, you know, maybe intuition. Like, yeah, I can get on that. But yeah, when you walk into a room and you can tell the heaviness that there's just been a fight 
you know, there's, there's something has happened there. Or you can walk to a group of people that are laughing. You've missed a joke. You just walk, but you start, oh, you start, you start mirroring that energy. So energy is contagious. They can call it whatever you want. And we're all empathic. We're all psychic. We're all picking things up. We all have more than our five senses. It's just, are we aware of it? Are we taking control of it? Are we using it? And, and to me, that's what energy work is. And, you know, Reiki, ch- chiropractic, yoga are all things that used to be really fringe and now they're everywhere. And, you know, the same is for just energy work. But it, it's all energy. We are energy, right? We're, we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. We're not just some science experiment. You know, we're not just a, a bag of flesh that was somehow animated and, you know, we're, we're barely functioning robots or whatever it is. But yeah, you know, we're, we're a lot more than we think. Yeah. And I would love to have, I sat there and I thought, you know, it'd be great to get an astrophysicist on the show because, you know, knowing that we're just a nano of the entire cosmosphere. And when you look at the brain and you look at the way synapses and the brain cells work together, and then you look at the Hubble telescope images of the galaxy, you realize that we are just, you know, small, small versions of the same thing. And so when you're looking out into the vastness of space and you know, there's dark matter, you know, there's energy fields between things that, you know, the naked, I can't see. To me, from my scientist nerd brain is like, well, then why isn't that not a possibility? Like, just because you can't see it, I think we should get to the place of where we realize that that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so I hold open like this space for it. It'll be really cool to find out like if we can have like a Hubble telescope of, you know, us and to be able to start to detect, you know, that movement that, you know, that energy field that, that does exist in there. Cause you know, we felt it, I agree. And yet we don't have an explanation for it. And I think it's actually out in astrophysics. Like I think if you go out there and then go, let's shrink it down and, and look at us here. And is that unreasonable to think that that can't happen in the next 10 or 20 years? No, I don't think so at all. So Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you want to come on my show and talk to me about that, I'm on. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember that when I was first being taught about the brain, so your, your brain stops developing. You only have so many brain cells. Like, right. my, my dad told me when you drink and you get drunk, that drunk feeling is because you've killed brain cells and they don't come back. I'm like, oh, well, like, all right, then why, why? And that was another thing that made me, you know, had me questioning why I'd be alive as a kid. I saw adults, you know, uh, at jobs I didn't like, waiting for the weekend to get drunk. And then my dad's telling me, oh, that just destroys your brain. And you're, so they're like, all these adults are working and complaining and killing their brains every weekend. And like, that's what I have to look forward to? You know, I'm, I'm not interested. But, you know, now we do know about neuroplasticity and that we are more resilient than we ever realized. And, you know, that, that was a key thing I discovered. I didn't think I had any resiliency because I kept wanting to give up and get out of here. But every time I survived my, my own murder attempts, I was building that resiliency muscle and it just took me, you know, took me longer than I would advise for anyone to, to just see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, we're all grateful that you, that you did get there. I mean, for a multitude of reasons, just because uh, suicide is, is super sad to me. I mean, like you, murder is probably a really great word. It's just that we murder ourselves. And statistically, I've said this out on the show before that, you know, twice as many people in this country die from suicide at their own hands than are actually murdered by, you know, other people. And over a million people attempt it every year. Like it's, it is the, you know, if you really want to save lives, mental wellness is how you genuinely save lives. So you know, people soapbox on gun control, which I don't want to get into this right now. This isn't a political show, but I always, I always counter back with, if you want to save lives, take notice of what we're doing in mental health and mental wellness. That's where you can double 
the life saving activities by, by having the conversations and then understanding, you know, really what leads to that um, for some people. Um, you know, before our paths crossed, which was a couple of weeks ago, I had already landed on the Good Men Project, a website, which I was fascinated because, like I said, you know, to me, I'm not just champion for, you know, shitty moms out there. I'm looking for, you know, and how do I become a good mom to men? And also because I actually do care about everybody, you know, out there. So, and, and you're affiliated with the Good Men Project. Can you, can you talk about what that actually is for any of the guys listening that, you know, might want to find themselves kind of moving into and checking that out? Yeah, uh, goodmenproject.com. It, it's a place having a conversation about masculinity, about what it means to be a man uh, today. And it, it's, it's all writers, contributors from around the world. Uh, we do 45 posts a day, seven days a week, every, every day. Um, so you're going to find topics that, that you can relate to. You're going to find topics that challenge you. But it's just, it, it's not just, it's, it's just, um, a collection of writings and blog posts and articles from, from people all around the world. And for all of 2018, I was a lead editor uh, on the site and I'm still a weekly contributor. Um, but it's, yeah, it's uh, a great place to connect. Uh, you can, anyone can read it and you need to be a paid member to actually be able to post comments and give feedback, but it, you know, it, it's like $25 a year to help, you know, keep it going and contribute to the furthering, the deepening of masculinity. Um, and there are plenty of female, writers and readers of it as well it's not some men's only club by any means um but it's a place to find guys doing the introspection guys doing a little bit of the self-judgment and is this right is this wrong how do i navigate but there's things on on dating and sex uh there's things on parenting there's things on exercise and fitness so it, it isn't it isn't only you know, hardcore, traumatic, you know, uh, gut wrenching postery. There's, 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 there's humor. Um, again, because being a man, being a human being, it's, it's multifaceted. There's a lot of aspects to us, but it, yeah, it's, I find it, it's a, uh, one of my favorite sites. I, I was so glad to, uh, become part of it because I had heard of it for years too. And I kind of thought, again, when I first discovered, like, oh, there's some big goal. I, I was, you no, know, I wonder if I could never be with those guys and they know what they're doing kind of a thing. And, and like, oh, this is easy. Once you just say, hi, I'd like to be a part of your organization. <laughs> um, so yeah, just having the bravery to step forward, but yeah, visit it. Uh, you can subscribe, you can read them. If you become a member, there are lots of different weekly um, phone calls and group conversations. They have lots of different Facebook groups. Um, the disposability of men, toxic masculinity, uh, dating and sex and relationships and parenting, just all sorts of different subgroups that uh, kind of to, to fill whatever, you know, whatever area of life that you want some more support in. Can be right. found. Cool. Now in your practice working with men, how hard do you find it is to get them to open up and to kind of expose themselves and be transparent? It's hard. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's getting easier. Um, you know, I've been working with clients since 2010. 90% of my clients have been women hmm. and women always assumed uh, because I look like I do that I must have this huge, you know, um, you know group of men that I've been serving. And it wasn't until I realized that, you know, men kind of need to be called out. The, you know, the, the average guy doesn't know he's a human being. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know that he has the right to feel and that actually feeling things will help him feel better. Um, so most guys have something has cracked them open before they reach out to me. Um, I've had first session. Again, I, I, I go to the core I'll, I, I, with the Akashic Records with energy work. I, I get past the, the bullshit and the mass that people say. 
and, and I'll pull something out and just show it to them, say how I can tell them how they're feeling. And I've had just guys burst down into tears and kind of have that first release. And they're always telling me like, I can't believe I'm sharing this month with this, with a stranger. I can't, I've just met you. I can't believe them. Like, yeah, it's because you need to, it, it helps. And often it's, it's easier, and I've always found this in my life, it's easier to tell a stranger everything that I think is wrong with me than to someone that I know, right? I, I don't really, if you're a stranger, what do I care what you think about me? But if you're my friends, you're my family, you're my parents, you're my your children, if you know my, you know, the, the horrible thoughts that I have about myself, well, you know, that's that has a bigger repercussion. There's more of a risk there, right? So it's all about making that safe space, you know, letting a guy know that, and, and I share, you know, my story, like, I know how shitty we can feel. I, I like, I know, I know that the darkest impulses of just wanting to check the fuck out of here. And I also know that life is freaking magnificent and it can be the magnificent for anybody. And you know, nobody reaches out wanting to get help who can't get help all the way, who can't love their life. Yeah. Where have you seen in terms of like maybe some common threads uh, in the messaging that maybe a man received through his life that kind of built the pages of his story that said, you know, men and emotions are not, they don't go hand in hand or, you know, judge them for it or whatever. I mean, what has, what has been that part? Like, like I said, where have you, or what have you seen? And so it's, it's, it's rarely something that's ever, no one, no man is taught here's how to be a man. It's all by mirroring. It's seeing that their dad, their grandfather, never showed emotion. That the only time they see their dad cry was at his dad's funeral. It's 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 things. It's the unspokenness. It's the keeping it tight and bound. And I always ask guys, like, whatever your view of masculinity is, did the person it come from? Did they enjoy their life? And you know, if you're modeling someone that was you know, gruff and mean and a drunk and closed off to everybody, you know, why would you want to live that life? Like, let, let that be an example of what you don't want to do instead of just what you automatically follow. So it, it's just every human being is put into a box or attempted to be put into a box and labeled by society, by family, by education. And we don't have to stay there. You know, I, you know, make your own box, enlarge your box, right? Color on it, you know, put a, put a porthole out in your cardboard box when you're a kid making a fort, right? Just, it, it can be that easy. It can be that fun, mm-hmm. but it, it starts with taking responsibility. And that, that's kind of a scary word to a lot of, a lot of guys because they think responsibility and blame go hand in hand. Right. And so I don't, we don't care about blame, you know? Something happened. We, we all have a set of circumstances in our past. We all have circumstances we deal with every day. What we can take control of is how we react, how we choose to think, what actions we choose to take. So you can't make good choices before you take responsibility for your life, for your mental health, for your emotional well-being. Yeah. So, and so that's the biggest thing. It's, it's getting people over that fear to take responsibility. Right. Blame is easy. People are good at that, yeah. but it doesn't help us get forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens in all aspects of it. It's not just also, um, you know, it's hard to, and I would say, I think it's hard to not kind of default to blame. If, if our experiences growing up were that blame was also easily handed out 
you know, around it. Like, you know, we're in this situation because you aren't doing this and, you know, your mom's upset because you won't, you know, get your shit together. And, you know, your dad left because, you know, whatever it is. I mean, when blame is like a default condition for there, then it is hard to kind of, you know, be able to be in a mental place where you can, you know, exercise that from, you know, your way of thinking. And, you know, for me, I, I, I also, you know, in relating to that is when you, when you want to dig in and start to really look at your past and to say, listen, I need to, I need to take a heartfelt examination of what these experiences are and how they have, you know, how they set the dip switches in my brain and to change them. People get afraid of, of having a challenging discussion, even with themselves about like, okay, I know, I know we were dealing with poverty. I know that we were dealing with, you know, a dad that was an alcoholic who abandoned us or whatever, you know, a a person's trauma story is. Um, Can I, can I understand that, how that may affected the adults around me, my caretakers, because they're humans too, Um, that maybe they were sad and they were depressed. And as a result of that sadness and their own depression, I wasn't getting what I needed at that point in time. And so you know, I had to, I had to go into survival mode and can I, and can someone have that reflection internally with themselves and not feel guilty for that? Because guilt, I think is the other piece of this is like, I don't want to dig in and find out the truth or, or uncover the truth of the circumstances because I don't want anybody to be mad at me. I don't want, you know, I don't want mom to be mad at me. I don't want dad to be mad at me. I don't want my family to ostracize me. And that's a hard one too, you know, guilt and shame going in with, you know, taking that hard long look. And, and I think it's harder. I mean, the irony is, is it's harder when you grew up around a lot of guilt and shame messages to sit there and suddenly decide that you don't want that anymore. You know, that you've got to pull yourself out. Um, and you know, I, do you believe that, uh, do you believe any of the myths? You know, I, I mean, I imagine that you don't, but I mean, the myth and the bias that men will never get it. Men will never get the feelings. They'll never get the emotions the way that women will. Uh, no, I don't buy it at all because uh, I get the emotions. I'm a feeler. And I used to think, well, then that must not be a man. But no, I'm, I'm comfortable in my masculinity. I know I'm a man and I know I feel the entire spectrum of freaking emotions. Um, I've had so many women come to me. I wish I could find a man like you. I'm like, really? You want a suicidal, depressed psychopath? That's what you want to be oh, hanging out with? Um, but I get what they mean. They want someone that can be that, that open. And so I'm not an anomaly. But the guys that are open and feelers are the people that have been picked on, shut down, told they're little girls, told they're a pussy, whatever it is. So there's all this information coming outside telling them to, to not be open, right? to close that heart. And guys that are brought up by people in that kind of lifestyle, they, they grew up with a hardening heart from a really young age. And, you know, my wife often points out, too, that, that she has friends say, oh, I want a guy that's open and feeling. And then they get that the guy, you know, he burst into tears. He just lost his whatever it is. And like, oh, you know, get it together. What are you doing? You know, so when it's it's be careful what you ask for, because you get it, if, especially if you haven't experienced it. It might not be as easy and beautiful and this great bond made when, when you do have that, when you have someone opening up. But it, any emotion lasts longer if we try to stuff it and deny it. Mm-hmm. So I've tell, I think I got this from Gay Hendricks, but allowing a few minutes of an uncomfortable conversation can eliminate uncomfortable living for years. So our, our willingness to feel, again, taking responsibility for how, you know, Go to the dark place, go to the joyous place, but we wouldn't be willing to feel in the moment. And when you do that, all emotions pass through 
much, much quicker, much easier. And you, you, you have that bond, right? You're, you're giving the people in your life permission to feel something and you don't take it personally. You, you let, you let them have their experience and you do your best not to judge. And they go, great. Hey, next, next Thursday, I'm going to freak out about something. Will you be there for me? Sure. <laughs> and you know, and it, it's not, it's not holding on to it because we're all used to bringing our past with us, but we don't have to. And right. so I don't, have to, I don't have to bring your past with you. I don't have to bring, you know, uh, you know, uh, best friends and brothers and sisters often. Oh, they fight, but that's family. You know, we do that. Well, you know, why can't we give ourselves that permission? You, know, yeah, you love your children. You probably don't love everything they ever do. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So the same thing with self-love. Like I, I freaking love me. Sometimes I'll make mistakes and do dumb things, but I was no, regardless, I still love me. You know, I love, I love my dog. They, I'm like, I'm screaming, what are you doing? Don't chew that thing. Ah, well, I still love my dog. And, and it can be that simple. Emotions can move that, that easily and quickly, and, except when we try to deny stuff, say, oh, I'm not supposed to feel that, or, or through guilt and shame, I feel like I've been trained and told not to feel whatever shows up. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I agree with that. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, why, you know, I've said this about the self-help industry, you know, it's a big industry for a reason is um, people try to stuff the feeling, you know, I'm going to just positively think about something and that will just neutralize the negative feeling. But the key is, is to figure out where did the negative feeling come from, you know? And so there's that, and to go from just trying to positively think to override your negative feelings to, discovering the origin of the negative feeling. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it's a huge deal and it requires a lot of commitment to be able to do it. And it is uncomfortable to be able to go through there. But like you said, you know, finding people that help you with safe spaces to be able to, to get through that. Because again, we are searching for the root of those negative feelings um, and, and tending to a garden that has a lot of them in there. And it's, it's scary, you know, to, to think about having to do it. And some people would just rather not worry about it, you know, just deal with the consequences. I've, I've said this before, like just accept who they are. I'm just, I am a label. I am a medication. I am fucked up. Deal with it, you know, kind of thing. Like, okay, that's your choice too. Cool. You know, I, I don't judge anybody on that piece. Like that's, you know, roll with that. Um, it's not going to be, you know, within my boundary, you know, set my own boundaries. And I think that's one of the things that people that go through trauma also have problems with boundaries, you know, um, that we, we take on everybody and we want to please everybody, you know? Um, but do you only work or have you only really worked with other men that have like big extreme trauma stories? I mean, like, you know, a little bit of yours of where it's like sexual, physical abuse or, or extreme neglect. Um, or do you find, you know, there are a lot of guys that would probably consider themselves pretty average, you know, that, that seek out some, some assistance. Uh, I wouldn't say help, but assistance, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, I definitely have had both for for a long time, and I, I, for a while it felt like a curse. Like everyone that came to me had attempted suicide, had thought about it, and hadn't. A lot of them hadn't told anyone except me. And you know, for a long time I thought, like, what, "What's wrong with my energy? Why is why what is this ball of depression and turmoil? Why why is this attracting people to me all the time?" Um, but now, more and more, that that's kind of gone away. But again, it's 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 that I might be the first place that someone felt safe enough to confide in that. And now I take it, you know, as a privilege and see it as an honor. But I've had guys come to me just be like, they just feel something's off. Like they, they know they're capable of more, but they're not feeling it. And so they want to look like, they're not sure. Is is it my job? Is it my relationship? And, you know, it's usually their image of themselves. 
and they kind of bought the mask. Like, I'll get the great job. I'll get the great wife. I got the picket fence. I got my 2.5 kids and I feel empty. And it's doing that inner work. Say, well, what, what do you really want? Were you, were you living someone else's life Mm -hmm. as opposed to what you wanted to pursue? You know, when did you give up on your own dreams and desires? So any trauma is massive to the person feeling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's in one of the chicken soup of the soul books talks about, you know, two sisters and mom brings them to the ice cream truck as, as little girls and she orders two ice creams and they realize she didn't have enough money. could only buy one. So one sister didn't get an ice cream that day. And she grew up thinking I'm the bad sister. I can never met. It was all because of the one ice cream. So again, the repercussions on her life, massive trauma, but anyone else was there besides her witnessing that moment, no big deal. They never don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's no such thing as small trauma. There's just trauma. Yeah, and you know you can it can it can guide you, or you can take control and heal, release, and explore it. Yeah, cool. So, how does somebody uh, listening to this that wants to work with you tell me about what you're doing? Because you know I, I have a lot of people that are like, hey, I want to tell you my story too. Well, that's cool. Um, I love stories, you know, because they're helpful and stuff. But I I do have a filter that I put, which is I love to share stories and then have them. Uh, of people that actually then have some action. It's not that everybody else's story isn't important, but for listeners here, you're listening because you want to learn and know more. And we will identify at some point with somebody on the show that they can connect to. And so for people that are connecting with you, Andy, and your messaging and the work that you're doing, how do they find you and start to, to work with you if they're interested in that? Great. Well, my website that has links to everything I'm up to is theandygrant.com. Don't fall for some generic Andy Grant. You want the Andy Grant.com. <laughs> the official. Uh, yeah. And I, I have, uh, you can download some free meditations, experience energy work a little bit yourself on, on my site. Uh, I do a free call with people because I, I, don't, I don't allow myself to be hired as a coach. I have a conversation and I make sure that we can, that we're a good fit. I, I don't coach people that, you know, if someone's coming to me for, to be the best accountant they can be, you know, that's, that's not my skill set. So I'll, I'll use my network. I can refer to them to someone else, but you know, usually it's, I'm dealing with people with emotional challenges, not feeling fulfilled, not feeling connected. Uh, I do Akasha record readings for people. That's, that's online. You do that for people all around the world. The coaching is for people all around the world. I'm an initiate in the modern mystery school. I do healings that have a 3,500 year lineage behind them. Uh, those are all have to be done in person. I have processes that literally, truly put more light into you and everyone feels the energy and enthusiasm and then your life just unfolds your your skills your your instincts your abilities are all heightened you you truly have more energy in your physical body and just life can just unfold dramatically from there uh we mentioned earlier you, you were on my show real men feel uh, whatever podcast platform you enjoy, look for Real Men Feel. You'll find 128 shows there to, to dig into. Um, and it's not just for men. Plenty of female guests, plenty of female listeners. Uh, because the, <laughs> I share it often in, in the show, that the big secret that men don't realize, that they're human beings. Right? We're, we're, we're humanity. We're not, we're not masculinity. We're humanity. And that was another thing that, that came out a lot last night in our panel discussion about that Gillette campaign as well. Um, you know, it's the best we can be. 
Mm-hmm. And, and th- that's what I ask of myself. That's what I ask of my clients. That's what I help them achieve. It's just uh, ideally the only person we ever compare ourselves to is to us the other day, right? And the goal is, am I doing better? Am I feeling better? Is there more joy in my life? Am I, am I providing more service? Are, are the people in my circle, family, friends, coworkers, are they doing better because I'm in their circle? Those are the things I look at those are the only things I allow myself to compare myself to going forward. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you're doing fantastic stuff. You've got a great following, uh, Facebook, you know, Facebook, Instagram website, um, uh, the podcast, you know, such a huge community of people that are out there. And, um, and I like that it's again, a safe space. I know, again, I get to talk from my women's privilege of, you know, an emotional pedestal that I'm on. And so it's, um, it's amazing that, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there cause it is vulnerable. It's less vulnerable. I think for me as a woman to sometimes admit failure or emotional struggle struggles than it is definitely for a man to be able to do that. And that's why I said, I I do believe, you know, with the Gillette thing too, that there's a silent majority of men out there that are conflicted about how they feel about, you know, that particular ad and they're not alone. You know, I think that's the bulk of them that are out there. And so being able to put yourself out there, finding you to be able to maybe get them connected and talking, at least be in your community so that they can find ways to be able to express and start a path maybe of improving their own life. So uh, Andy, I am so glad that the universe has crossed our paths together in the way that it actually has. Um, uh, you are one of my favorite people here and I enjoyed talking with you. Um, I think that there's gonna be a lot you and I are gonna be able to do together as we move forward now that we know each other. Um, and so thank you so much for for doing this episode with me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's really my pleasure. Earlier you mentioned that we met two weeks ago and I'm like, what? Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like we have been connected and bonded and talking for a long time. So, uh, yeah. I, and I take that as a, a, a fabulous sign. So thank you. I agree. Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiricone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kirkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.